Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics. You can find me most active on Instagram at jakeparker.fit if you want to connect or just see what I'm up to. Hi guys, welcome back to a new edition of the Beyond Fit podcast. I hope that you're enjoying your day and week wherever this podcast finds you. It's been pretty beautiful weather here in Omaha this week, so I'm happy about that. Getting out for some daily walks and just enjoying the sunshine and the warmth while it's still here. One of the things I'm going to talk about today, the second topic, is going to be circadian alignment. So that's going to be something of note if you are someone who likes to get out in the sun and you're not sure why that is, or if you're not sure why you feel the best and perform the best at certain times during the day, or even if you're curious about getting better at that. Um, The full topic list here, as is listed in the episode title, is fear, circadian alignment, creatine, and how much should you rest? So to get started here, I wanted to talk about fear and more specifically just the mindset of fear. So one of the really useful things that I remember hearing early on in my own journey about fear is that there's this acronym that's commonly used and it is that fear is false evidence appearing real. So fear, F-E-H-R, false evidence appearing real. And I think that that's interesting because a lot of times people that have trouble with feeling a lot of fear, feeling nervous and anxious and depressed and all these feelings that I've talked about before on the show, a lot of times it's just overcomplicating things in your head. And I definitely don't blame you if you're there yourself. I've been there before, but there's been some things that I've done to start to conquer and overcome and understand my own fear and just learn about where fear comes from and how and why we make these stories up in our heads. So I think that the first thing that I started learning about, especially from books like I've talked about before, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, books that describe what humans used to live like back in ancestral hunter-gatherer type times. And the reason that I think learning about this stuff is interesting and helpful is because it helps explain why we feel certain ways. Like, why do we feel fearful and unsure about expressing what we're doing in the gym or going to the gym and working out in a certain area or doing a certain lift when we're not sure how to do it and don't want to look stupid or don't want to ask a stupid question to someone like me or someone that has, you know, a podcast or an Instagram that we could reach out to? Why do we feel fear? Why do we feel unsure about these things? And the answer is relatively simple. I think that it's just one of those products of our evolutionary and ancestral history where asking a question and being unsure means that you are making yourself vulnerable and making it evident that you don't know something and that you need help. And in addition to that, you're kind of making yourself almost separate from the group because you're saying, I'm someone who cares about getting better and I'm someone who will admit their faults. And the big thing is that I'm trying to get at here is that we grew up and again, ancestrally, we evolved to want to be a part of a group, to want to be a part of the cool crowd. 
we all know this feeling from like high school and stuff like that. We want to be a part of a group and doing something that is scary, again, just like trying a new workout, trying some exercise that you don't really know how to do at the gym. It always feels like all of the attention is on us and everyone is going to think we look silly or we look stupid or whatever. But really, this is just the ancestral part of our brain that is scared and hasn't adapted to the environment we live in now, which is that there's so many people, there's so many ways to make connections. We're so relatively safe as far as having shelter and food and things like that. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously you are rather well, in, well endowed in that area. And so don't, don't give in to this primal fear. That's essentially where fear is coming from. It's always this primal, oh, I don't want to do something to be extricated from the group. Don't worry about that stuff. Find your group. If there's people um, who are you know, going to talk shit or whatever, or going to laugh at you. First of all, if they're your friends, cut them off. You don't need them as friends. There's better people than that out there. And second of all, it's just, if it's just random people know that when someone laughs at you or someone says this or that, that thing that you're doing is stupid or silly. They're really just saying that because they feel insecure about themselves and they feel insecure about something uh, in their own life. And I know that from my own experience in dealing with other people and also just in trying to acknowledge the things that um, I point out in others. So one of the things I notice about myself that I'm kind of ashamed of sometimes is that I kind of judge people that aren't as growth minded as me or aren't as into fitness. And I judge those type of people because I'm like, I know how easy it can be if you develop the habits and things that I practice. But it's for these type of people, it's, it's not that they don't want it. It's not that they don't understand it but it's the fact that they just don't know exactly how to apply the same principles and habits that I've developed. And it's the same way for other people. Like people see you trying something new and they go, oh man, I really wish I could do that, but I can't, so I'm going to talk shit about it. Um, The other two things that are back to relating it to like the primal ancestral self is we evolved this fear mindset because it was always about two things, you know, surviving and well, I guess two things as far as survival, which was trying not to get killed, get eaten by a predator or something like that and trying to find food so we could, you know, keep on living. And we have fear because back in those hunter gatherer times, if we felt fear to go out and get food because we were scared of dying of hunger, we would go and do that and fear would spur us to do that. And if we were trying to avoid, you know, say a tiger that was a predator and wanted to eat us, then that fear would spark us to run away or come up with a clever way to avoid uh, said predator. And so use fear to your advantage, like our ancestors did. Use it to spur you into action and don't let it just make you stagnate because that's only going to make it worse, I promise. Um, How this plays out, kind of like I said, you don't want to go and do this new workout Um, or you don't want to try to start working out or post your progress online or whatever it is because you're scared of what people are going to think. First of all, another thing that's helpful here is I have come to realize in my own life that people don't care near as much as you think they do. People are so focused internally on themselves, which is evident if you think about your own life, how often you think about what other people are doing, even if they're your close friends or family, not that often. People aren't really thinking that much about you. If I get too caught up in other people's opinions of me or like what other people are thinking, I kind of try to go, hey, like, are you being narcissistic here? Do you really think that these people care that much? No, just go do what you want to do. Do what you feel is right. And just try to be authentic to yourself and definitely go out and try new things. Try to, like I said, chase that fear and use that fear to your advantage. Um, Other places that this might be relevant 
is people are fearful. So they don't want to, you know, leave a job that they don't like. Oh, you know, I have so much safety here. I have so much friends here. That's fear. And we live again in a world where jobs are so plentiful. Even if you, you know, leave your nice office corporate job, you can always go find a job for a few months as a cashier, you know, as an example, as a waitress, whatever it is, we, we tend to think that, you know, taking leaps and leaving things is so scary, but it's really not because there's so many alternatives, um, which leads to another thing I'm going to talk about here shortly. Um, but the other place that I've definitely seen this play out in my own life is like not wanting to leave a relationship or a friendship. And I know that that's really tough, but again, it's one of those things where like, we're fearful. Oh, what if no one else is going to accept me? I promise you, if you go out there and you try, people are going to accept you if you're just yourself and you go out there and try to find your people, your tribe, whatever it is. Um, there's a couple quotes here that I dug up from one of my favorite books that I've mentioned a lot on the podcast, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which check out episode 97 if you haven't yet, because that is the episode where Stephen actually joined me on the show, which was really fun. In The War of Art, Stephen has two lines about fear that I really like. The first one is, we fear discovering that we are more than we think we are, more than our parents, children, or teachers think we are. We fear that we actually possess the talent that our still small voice tells us, that we actually have the guts, the perseverance, the capacity. We fear that we truly can steer our own ship, plant our flag, reach our promised land. We fear this because if it's true, then we become estranged from all we know. We pass through a membrane. We become monsters and monstrous. And I think he means this monsters, monstrous thing in a good way. Like we're so much powerful than we, more powerful than we know. And we have these thoughts, like he says, these, this small voice in our head that gets trumped by the big voice of fear that says, hey, what if you can go be an entrepreneur? What if you can get in great shape? What if you can uh, do this or that? Maybe you want to speak in front of people. Maybe you want to go out and ask some, you know, really charismatic, cool person out on a date that you admire. We can do all these things. We can overcome fear. And in fact, the way that Stephen talks about the resistance, that's the only thing standing in our way. And our duty is to overcome resistance and lean into these things that we feel fear about because that's how we know that it's truly important to us. The other thing he says about fear is, the amateur believes he must first overcome his fear and then he can do his work. The professional knows that fear can never be overcome. He knows there is no such thing as a fearless warrior or a dread-free artist. So this goes back to something I talk a lot about and that is that you need to act yourself into motivation and don't just expect that motivation is always going to be there or you can rely on motivation to get things done. You really have to see yourself doing something, which means just spurring yourself into action, even if you don't want to. Again, a great example here is just going and doing a workout, even when you might not feel like it, even when you'd rather just sit at home, stay at home, go and do it. And once you get into the motion of doing it, it's going to be so much easier and you're going to feel fantastic after you're done. This is true with any difficult pursuit. That's why I love the war of art and how it relates to writing or just any sort of artistry, but also as it relates to fitness and health and getting financially healthy and having difficult conversations and overcoming barriers to your mental, emotional health. Um, like I said, um, false evidence appearing real is the acronym that I like for fear. And um, I mentioned that sometimes we can build things up in our head and make them seem a lot scarier than they are in reality. One thing that helps with this that I've used before is fear setting, which is something that I got initially from Tim Ferriss, where, and write this down if you want to use this later, um, Tim says to write down, how can you repair it? And this is the fear. So like write down, what is your fear? Really state it. 
and and what is it you know first take a look at it and then number one how could you repair it number two what are the outcomes and the benefits to repairing it uh three why are you putting this off four what is it costing you and five what are you waiting for and then he he says to use uh this acronym truth which is t tell yourself the situation r realize what you're feeling U, uncover self-criticism. T, try to understand yourself. And H, have the feeling. And he says that the mental static of worry will disintegrate as soon as you get in touch with the feelings that are causing it. And I definitely agree with this. I think a lot of the times fear just wants to be heard and wants to be felt. And once you let it in and stop ignoring it with social media and Netflix and porn and food and whatever it may be, we use these things. Again, I'll go back to Stephen Pressfield's word, the resistance. We use these things to numb ourselves and to not have to feel this fear. But really, if we lean into it and look at it, fear is not nearly as scary as it might be built up in our heads. And this goes back to the act yourself in the motivation. Go and do things that you think are hard, and you'll see that it wasn't near as bad as you built it up to be. Um, the last thing here, I think that one way to switch your mindset and something to focus on instead of this fear mindset um, is just adopt this mindset of curiosity and of open-mindedness. For me, I think that curiosity and open-mindedness are uniquely uh, objective. They're not something that like fear is subjective and that we feel deeply and that we build up, but it's one of those things where if you feel curious about something, if you want to know more about something, if you're unsure, just say that and be honest and be truthful. And that's going to lead to so many positive conversations and interactions. And when you are curious and open-minded, it's hard to feel fear at the same time because you're trying to get to the bottom of something and you are acting, you are in action. Um, the next thing here, the next topic is circadian alignment. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is, I guess, what made me think of this first and foremost is that right now, um, the sun's going down earlier. And so that's kind of a little hard on everybody. I know that I definitely feel a little pang of that seasonal um, depressive disorder when you have a lot less of the sun. Um, it seems like the days go by so much faster. And I think we just all experience how that kind of makes us feel more down. Um, but a couple of useful notes here um, that I especially use during the summer, but am going to try my best to be mindful of um, continuing to use as it gets colder and as it's dark for more hours of the day, because I know that the importance doesn't go away. In fact, it probably gets uh, more important. So to define that word, circadian alignment is essentially being aligned with your body's genetic, uh, genetically hardwired natural rhythm, aka your circadian rhythm. Um, circadian is just how your body feels energized and awake throughout the day. Um, so this has a lot to do with hormones and other bodily processes. And essentially the brass tacks of this is like, it comes down to, do you think that you're a morning or a night person? A lot of this stuff is innately programmed. And we have, like I said, these periods of feeling more energized throughout the day, um, more awake, more alert. And you have to pay attention to that and you have to try to play into that as best as you can. Obviously, a lot of us have jobs and other obligations and we can't just completely make our own schedule, but to the best of your ability, try to realize when do I have the most energy? Maybe when do I have like an afternoon lull or a different time in the day when I have a lull and I should give myself more leniency or a break of some sort. Um, the really interesting thing that I found that I can remember uh, hearing somewhere in the past 
about circadian alignment is that it's, it's really, it can really be screwed up if you get this messed up and it's most um, clearly evidenced in shift workers. Shift workers are a lot more prone than normal people to be depressed or anxious and develop poor eating habits. And these are all things that can happen if you are not in alignment with your circadian rhythm. So what does this look like? Um, how can you maximize your personal circadian rhythm alignment? You can, first of all, try to go to bed and wake up at the same time. Um, this is one that's tough, I know, to make a habit, but once you do make it a habit, you are going to feel so much better, I promise. Stop trying to think that you can rely on sleep, debt, and credit because our bodies have not built the adaption to using sleep on a debit and credit system, kind of like we use food. We have fat, more obviously, and then muscle tissue that we use for storing away calories for when we can't eat. So we can have a debit and credit system for our food, but there's no such thing that exists for sleeping. And so it's really, really important to get enough sleep every day. And the way to really maximize that and maximize your circadian alignment is to go to bed and wake up at the same time. And so like for me, I try to go to bed between 9.30 and 11 every night and then wake up between 5.30 and 7 every day. And that works pretty well for me. A couple other things that I focus on that I've talked about before is make sure your room is two things, cold and dark. That's really important. And then make sure you're trying to not use your bedroom or your bed for things other than going to sleep or winding down for sleep or, of course, you know, sex with uh, a partner or someone else. And that's important because we associate our bed with the things that we do in it. So if you get in there and you spend a lot of time watching TV or being on your laptop or phone or whatever, uh, when you're in your bed, your body doesn't necessarily know that when you get into bed, it's time to flip to be ready for sleep because it's associated with these other activities. So try and be mindful of that as best you can. And then two other things that you can do throughout the day is try to get exposure to sunlight. That's going to help regulate your circadian rhythm. Your body's going to know what time it is. You know, you get out, know that, you know, your body is going throughout its day and that it's going to appropriately, hopefully at the end of the day, wind down um, because you're in line with your, your circadian rhythm and your natural primal alignment. Um, and then other than that, trying to limit blue light at night. And I use blue light blocking glasses for this. You can also just cut off screen time at a certain time if that works for you. But the important reason to cut off blue light, and if you don't know what that is, it's just the light that comes off of your phone, tablet, computer, television. Um, and that is essentially to our bodies pretty similar to sunlight. And so it kind of makes us feel like, oh, it's still daylight out. And so the benefit in reducing your exposure to that is you're going to be more ready for sleep at the end of the day. And um, another good thing it, it, to even add on top of that, if you can master that, is to try to start shutting off lights uh, like a half hour, hour before bed, trying not to go from like a really bright lit up house to just shutting off all the lights and being like, okay, now I'm ready for bed. It's time to go to bed. Kind of easing into that nightly routine. And even if you can, having a good like wind down sleep routine at the end of the day. Okay, the third topic here out of the four is creatine. Okay, so what is creatine and who is it for? Creatine is a substance that's naturally found in the body. It increases our stores of ATP, which is essentially a source of energy, and it can lead to faster muscle growth and recovery, as well as just some advantages to overall physical performance. Creatine, I would argue that it should be taken by 
anyone and everyone, even if you are not focused on lifting weights, building muscle and things like that, because there have been studies that have shown that it is effective in increasing our cognition, um, our brain health, our ability to think, in other words. And uh, the other thing about creatine is that it is naturally found in foods. What most people don't realize is that they say, oh, creatine, like that's a supplement. You know, I don't want to introduce like harmful chemicals or whatever to my body. But really creatine is something that's found in fish and meat. Uh, there's about one gram in a pound of salmon or a pound of steak. And the thing is, the dose that we're looking for is like anywhere from three to five grams a day. So unless you're eating pounds and pounds of fish and meat a day, you're not going to be able to get um, the proper amount to have the benefits that we're looking for. Um, it does not have any of the detrimental factors that you may have heard, bloating, uh, causing baldness or anything weird like that. Possibly in the past when creatine was not as advanced as it was before and it was still in like the beginning of the beginning stages, it may have caused things like bloating, but I would say that just about anyone can benefit from having five grams of creatine a day. And I wouldn't recommend that there be any loading phase or anything like that, but this is really going to help, like I said, your overall muscle growth, retention, which can be useful for anyone for a number of reasons, also physical performance and cognitive performance. It's really pretty cut and dried with creatine. Um, it's one of the only supplements that's been proven effective in multiple, multiple studies that you can go and find online if you're curious. Um, proven effective, it is, like I said, a naturally occurring substance, um, and it can lead to a number of benefits. Like I mentioned, it's just hard for me to even try to upsell creatine because it's just such an obvious no-brainer. On top of all this, it's very cheap and affordable. And so I honestly, I would recommend creatine to anybody to use. I take it myself by either A, putting it in with like a pre-workout, um, which another note is just because a supplement says that it has creatine in it, like a pre-workout, it's probably dosed at about one or two grams maybe. And again, you need to get up to that three to five gram a day range to see the uh, most benefits. And so be careful that whatever you're taking or whatever you think has creatine in it is properly dosed. Um, but like I said, I'll throw a scoop in with my pre-workout. If I'm taking pre-workout at the time, I might throw a scoop in with a protein shake, or if nothing else, it's easy just to throw in with some water and take. Actually, what I've been doing uh, most recently is just having a bit of creatine mixed in a glass of water when I have my breakfast and take my vitamins. It's easy just to remember to do all that stuff at once. The only thing I would caution here is don't confuse causation with correlation when it comes to creatine. This is very common in like bro sciencey type stuff, but a lot of times we think, oh, this certain supplement or this certain you know, food or whatever it is caused this result. And that can be seen with creatine. Like I remember, especially when I was in high school, some guys would talk about taking creatine and be like, oh man, like I wish I could take creatine. I'd get so muscular and jacked and gain strength and muscle so fast. And it, like I said, is proven effective. It's definitely something I would recommend. And that is good in my opinion, but it's going to be one of those things that can maybe help you go about 5% faster in your results, in your gains. It's not going to be night and day. 5% is quite a bit if you really factor in trying to do all the, all the things right that you can and are trying to get the most out of your diet and training, but it's not going to be a night and day difference as no supplement will be. So don't just think, oh yeah, this person takes creatine, they're big and jacked. No, they do a lot of other things too, like eating and training properly and having probably some mix of genetics thrown in there. 
So be careful of anyone that says, oh, you know, beyond creatine, just that this supplement is going to get you this result or is really going to be this much of a game changer because no supplement can really be that big of a game changer. Um, it just comes down to the things, like I talked about, habits, routines, things you're doing habitually and things you're doing on a big scale. The last topic I wanted to talk about today is rest. How much should you rest? And specifically, I am talking about resting in between sets and exercises when you're working out. So one thing I've noticed is that I think if there was one thing that people get wrong the most often when specifically weightlifting and trying to get more strong and muscular is not taking enough rest. I think we popularly like to get a sweat on, you know, get a pump on, get the feeling that we worked hard. You know, this is all common stuff. This is all things that we kind of, again, just in popular culture and in bro science that we want to um, lean towards. But really what's most effective is not having the hardest workout or having the sweatiest or most sore workout. It's having the most effective workout. And what is more effective than resting not enough, which can um, take the form of doing multiple exercises together too often, like thinking that you have to do like a superset. Oh, I'm going to do flies in between my bench press. And that's really going to make, you know, my, my chest grow so much more. No, what it's really going to do is not allow you to bench press as effectively and bench press as much weight, which is not going to lead to as big of gains over time. When it comes to getting more muscular and more strong, you really want to focus on progressively overloading and working on compound weightlifting movements. So when you do things like squat, bench, deadlift, anything that is going to involve multiple muscle groups at once, it's going to be very challenging and difficult. I'll rest on these sort of sets anywhere from like three to four minutes because it really takes a lot out of you if you're really working hard and getting in there and doing what you should. Um, other lifts, and as I get further on into the workout, um, lifts that I don't feel are as important, I might lift about two to three minutes. And then isolation exercises like the lateral raise, the bicep curl, the leg extension, things like that, that I'm commonly doing, I'll rest about one to two minutes. But again, don't be obsessed with having the hard, difficult, sweaty workout and feeling like, oh, I gotta you know, do this in between sets of this. No, have your set and do it really hard. Go, you know, go hard, don't shortchange yourself and rest enough and try to repeat the same amount of repetitions or more or less if possible. But really try to, especially on the big lifts that are really important to your routine, rest about three to four minutes and you're gonna feel so much better and you're gonna see so much better results overall instead of focusing on the, like I said, hard work, soreness, other metrics that are more esoteric and not as important for progress. Um, I think that one thing you might be a little bit confused about if you like follow my Instagram stories and posts and stuff is I definitely do talk about the benefit of doing um, supersetted exercises. And the caveat here is that when I superset exercises, they're always peripheral in the sense that they are working opposite muscles. So I never superset like two chest movements or two shoulder movements, but I will superset something like a bicep curl and a calf raise because they're two totally separate parts of the body and neither of them is very taxing on the entire body. So I wouldn't superset something like a squat in between sets of bench press, but I would superset something like forearm curls in between sets of lateral raises because you're working different parts of the body and so I feel like because these aren't as taxing and it's more about just getting the pump and I'm not focusing on overloading these as most effectively as I can every week, like I am the bigger lifts, it's fine to superset them. And in addition, like I said, they're, they're 
just not going to be taxing the same parts of the body. So for example, um, when you talk about like the shoulder forearm movements together, I can let the shoulders kind of recover a little bit while I'm taxing the forearms a little bit and then vice versa. So I hope that all makes sense. Please, as always, reach out if you have any questions. And I hope to see you back here for the next podcast. Hey guys, it's Jake again. I'd like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast to take a quick second and subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps me out. And in addition, it'd be great if you would screenshot and share to your story. I'd love to reshare and have a conversation about what you thought about the podcast. 